Okay, if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. I want to invite you to turn there. We have um, started our Advent series last week, and if you'll um, remember along with me uh, the first candle of Advent, and again, if this is new to you, you didn't grow up in a tradition that celebrated Advent. I didn't grow up in a tradition that celebrated Advent either. Um, But this is a great opportunity for us to um, learn and to grow together. The first candle that we uh, lit and the theme that we celebrated was the theme of hope. It is such an important concept, um, this whole idea of hope, because it brings these kind of powerful forces to bear on our lives, um, steals us, uh, readies us, if you will, hardens us for any trial that we may be going through, any suffering we may have to endure. When you have hope, man, you can go through a lot. And so this is the candle that we lit last week. And this is the statement that we made, if you will, the song lyric that I hope you went away with. Um, and that is this, that God's faithfulness fuels our hope. God's faithfulness is what fuels our hope. If he was faithful then, he's faith, he'll be faithful now. If he was faithful there, he'll be faithful here. And because of that, it would be God's faithfulness that fuels our hope. You and I can have hope today uh, because God is faithful. Uh, Today, uh, we're lighting the candle of peace. And peace, um, as we'll see today, and I hope to uh, make these points very salient, very clear, uh, peace is is a byproduct of focus on God. Uh, some people have peace in, in various ways, and they think about peace in various ways. This is what, this, if you get, again, the lyric, I, I would love for you to go home with this, that peace is a byproduct of focus on God. We don't ever seek peace. We seek God, and peace is the byproduct of that. We don't ever uh, go after or, or look for peace itself. We seek God. We go after God. We look for God, and when we see Him, that's when we um, understand and begin to have peace. Uh, peace, as it's uh, talked about in the Bible, is, um, is the, the Old Testament um, word has a specific word for it, and the New Testament word is the word peace, which is what we're looking at today. The Old Testament word is the word shalom. Anybody heard that word before? It's this sense of rightness, this sense of ought, like it ought to be this way. Any ever been in a situation like that where you're like, hey, this is how things ought to be. That's that sense of peace. It's this sense of wholeness or this sense of rightness. It's that word shalom, this sense of just well, overall well-being that comes from uh, uh, having a clear focus upon God. And so Isaiah 26 verse 3 says this, he keeps, God who keeps a perfect peace uh, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So God keeps at perfect peace the one whose mind is stayed upon God, who's fixed, if you will, upon God. Why? Because he trusts in you. So when we're looking at God, then we have uh, this sense of who God is. And because we have a sense of who God is, we have a sense of what our circumstances are or what our situation is or whatever. So we've got our focus there. And the byproduct of that is this sense of well-being about where we are because we're being held in the the middle of God's hands. We're being um, uh, taken care of even in the middle of hardship and and problems. We're going to be okay is, is that sense. So he keeps in perfect peace the one whose mind... Uh, you stayed on him because he trusts in you. The uh, some people hear peace, and when they think about it, they think about it in terms of 
uh, uh, kind of emotional uh, well-being. And that's, there's, that's true. It's not less than that, but it is more than that. Uh, emotional uh, thing, when they think about it in terms of, you know, not anxious or not worrying or whatever, um, that's all good. It's not less than that, but it is more than that. Because uh, the reason I say that is because you can have emotionally stable people who don't necessarily have biblical peace, who don't have that sense of wholeness about them or this sense of well-being about them. And you can think of all sorts of examples uh, about that. But man, uh, here's the thing. Um, this sense of wholeness or this sense of rightness, this sense of the way things ought to be, this sense of shalom, it is bigger than just the emotional side. It can have that effect, but it's bigger than that. When we focus on God, peace is a byproduct of focus on God. When we focus on God, that's where, uh, boy, that, that's, that's where we need to be, and that's the source of our peace. And I'll just give you one biblical picture of this before we look at our text here in Luke 2. Uh, there's a story, Matthew, about Peter uh, walking on the water. If you've been around church, you, you know this. You know this story. Jesus is out walking on the water. Peter's like, uh, is that you, Jesus? Yeah, it's me. Hey, if it's really you and I'm not just seeing things or having a bad night or whatever, then, uh, you know, like call me out on the water. He goes, come on, big boy. Put your money where your mouth is. So Peter gets out of the boat, starts walking on the water. And the text says this, that he started seeing the waves that were around him. And what happened then? He began to sink. When his focus was on Jesus, there was a rightness. When he started focusing on the other stuff, everything went wrong. Okay, so in that sense, you keep him, him, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Peace is a byproduct of focus on God. More than emotions includes that, but it's more than emotions. So I'll try to prove that point from this text in Philippians chapter 4. Don't be anxious about anything, it says. Uh, but in everything, by prayer and supplication or uh, petition, asking, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That's how we pray. We pray, not with anxiety because we're talking to our dad. Uh, we, we pray with thanksgiving because he can not only hear us, but we'll do something about it. And then it says this in verse 7, and the, and the, what? the, peace, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts. I don't know why it says treats. Uh, it apparently... That is an autocorrect fail right there. Can I just say that that's really funny? I don't think it said that in the 830, but let's just go ahead. It'll guard your treats, people. So let's just be clear. If you've got chocolate treats at home, you want to pray about those things? Now, God will take care of that. But what it really says is it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If you, ever, if you ever see a typo on the screens, no, it's not their fault. It is completely my fault because I hand them this stuff. So just that, this is the guy who typed treats, apparently, instead of hearts. So weird. <laughs> God, just, just guard, guard my treats, please. Yeah. That's what my dog is saying at home, too. Guard my treats. Okay, how we got off on all that, I don't know. Here's the deal, though. I'm trying to make a point that's for real. The peace of God, if you can get past the ridiculous typo, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, meaning it is, it, it's not a human. It, I mean, it will blow your human world up, is what it's saying. There's something more than you or I could generate about which surpasses all understanding. It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's, it's doing more than just 
settling your emotions down. It's guarding your hearts and your minds. It, it, is, it is guarding uh, more than just your emotional life. It's guarding the entirety of you. It, it's, if you will, fencing you in. It's, it's building a wall kind of around your life so that you know that it's going to be okay. That's what it's saying. This is what the peace of God uh, does. And so um, with, with that in mind, let's look, if you will, in, in Luke chapter 2. We'll start in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. So a census, they went back to Bethlehem, their hometown where they needed to be registered. Verse 6. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And, the same, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. Just pause real quick. Zechariah from last week, when we talked about him and hope, when he saw the angel, what was his response? Great fear. Shepherds see the angel? Great fear. I'm just telling you, like an angel shows up, it's not warm and fuzzy, folks. Like it's, in, it's awe-inspiring and possibly terrifying, which if an angel is like that, think about who God is. Like, think about that. Think about how awesome he is. Okay. Verse 10, the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. We just sang it. Gloria. In excelsis Deo. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Like the shepherds with the angel. Darkness all around, listening to the sheep do sheep things, right? Listening for uh, a sound that's out of place. All of a sudden, none of that mattered and none of their focus was on that. Where was their focus? On the angel who just absolutely, quite literally, lit up their world. Their focus was on God and peace, the sense of wholeness and well-being and rightness and oughtness was, was the byproduct of and when we look at the Lord and what He's doing here in this story, uh, when we let the other things kind of go by the wayside, let them remain dark and focus on what is in the light, what we see is God breaking out of the ordinary and, and uh, coming to us. And He's coming to us uh, because He knows that we don't have peace. He knows that apart from Him and apart from His breaking out of the ordinary and stepping into our world, we have no peace. We don't have this sense of rightness. We don't have this sense of wholeness. We don't have this sense of what is what ought to be. Why? Because our most genuine and our deepest problem is the brokenness of our own lives from our sin. There is a brokenness inside of us that God will not, uh, and, and He does not like, He will not tolerate, and He's moving toward us um, to, to deal with this. We have no peace. And so God sends the angel to tell the shepherds, and then they just break out in song, verse 14, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace 
among those with whom he's pleased. So I want to just give you some thoughts here, and then we, you can see we're going to take communion. Let's just pause for a moment, though, and reflect for a couple of moments on this text. The, the first thought I want to set before you here is that even though God sees our brokenness, he refuses to leave us in our brokenness. Even though God sees it, he refuses to leave us uh, in our brokenness. He knows what's going on. He knows the problems that are in the world. Uh, he knows the problems that were going on then. He knew about the Roman Empire and all the corruption and all the persecution. He knew about all the international issues. Uh, he, he knew about the, the personal problems of the, of the shepherds and the things that were going on in their world. He knew about uh, all the doubts that Joseph had and all the struggles that Mary Bay had been having. Like He knew about all that kind of stuff. And folks, he sees our world too. He saw what happened in Texas City this past week. And the devastation that that choice caused, not only to uh, the life of that young lady, but to the family and those around. I mean, he saw that. He saw all of that. And he sees all the stuff that's going on uh, internationally right now. He saw it then. He sees it now. And he says, listen, I see the brokenness of that, and I refuse. I refuse to leave it. I refuse to leave it that way. Uh, earlier this week, um, we were celebrating kind of a family milestone, having a family moment, and uh, the, the choice was made, we're going to get some Mexican food and eat on the back porch. Uh, over Thanksgiving, we had strung up some Edison lights and put those up so that the back porch was nice and lit and, you know, kind of pretty awesome. So it was a nice night out. We were going to sit back there and do that, flip those lights on. A couple of the kids are out there. We're getting stuff ready to go back. And we're like, the lights are off. And I'm like, all right, which of you little punks turn the lights off, right? Well, none of us, Dad. We didn't do anything. Go over to the switch. Nothing, nothing. This is not good. We're supposed to have a family moment. It's supposed to be this thing, right? Edison lights is going to be nice. It's going to be great. Nice night. All that kind of stuff. Flip, flip, flip. Not working. Check the breaker. Check the fuse on the little power strip. Go through all of that kind of stuff. It ain't happening. It just is not going on. Isolate it to whether it's either the cord uh, before the first light. It's either the cord or, or it's the switch itself. So I'm like, well, I can't fix this now. Go, I'm like, I got a work light in the garage. Go get a work light, which is not nearly as awesome as these string of Edison bowls, but we eat by work light as it shines up on the little roof of the little porch there. So we eat by that. And then finally, anybody else with me on this? I'm like, I can't, I can't leave this as is. Like, I can't lose. Anybody with me on this? Like, I've got it down, all you engineers. I, I have taken out the variables, and I've, I've got it down to two. It's one of two things. So let's figure out what this is. So I pull the switch box off, undo the thing, stick it all back together, put the wire nuts on. I'm like, click, click, nothing, nothing. That's not good. Must be the cord. No, not the cord. I get to looking at the light string, and I'm like, what? what? The little plug's about that long. It's got a fuse in there. I'm like, huh, huh, huh. Pop that bad boy open, sure enough, blown fuse. Thankfully, I don't know why Walmart was so gracious to me as to do this, but they had included an extra fuse right next to the blown fuse. So I just popped the one out, chunked it in the tray, popped the new one back in, plugged that bad boy back in. Bam! Edison lights. Thank you so much. That's what happened. And so I was thinking, as I was sitting out there enjoying the victory, as well as the Edison lights, I, we wanted to sit out and enjoy them shining. Like, they were designed to shine, we wanted to enjoy them shining. We wanted, they were designed, they were created to shine in a certain way. And 
we wanted to enjoy them shining. But there was a brokenness to it. That if I hadn't stepped in to intervene, they'd still be broken right now. And the Holy Spirit whispers like this, and indeed, there's a world out there. There's a world out there that God wants to do what it was created to do. God wants for us to do what we were created to do. Lights were designed to shine. You and I were created to do some things. Furthermore, He wants to enjoy us doing those things. It's not just a matter of, of, uh, you know, just them actually doing it, but He wants to enjoy that about us doing what we were created to do. But there's a brokenness to you and me. There's a brokenness not only in our world, you know, all of the lights were out. It wasn't just one. It was all of these lights that were out. There's this kind of systemic failure, but there's a brokenness in each and every one of us that creates that. And so God then has to step into that brokenness. He has to intervene in that brokenness to bring a solution to you and me. There's a a fuse, if you will, that's blown in our lives, and it has created all sorts of havoc and brokenness. And so God steps in. Look what he does, verse 10. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you what? Good news of great joy. I'm bringing you good news of great joy. God refuses to leave us in our brokenness. And folks, if you don't hear anything else today, that's what you need to hear. He refuses to leave you in your brokenness. And that's good news. The pushback comes, and it sounds something like this. It's typically one of two things. Uh, the objection is, I'm, I'm actually too broken. Like, there are so many pieces, and there is so much darkness, there's no way that somebody could actually put me back together. I am Humpty Dumpty. I am the one that the king... Nobody could actually put me back together in. There's too much brokenness and there's too much darkness. There's no way that that could actually happen. And here's what I want to say to you. Can we continue reading on in verse 10? And the angel said to them, Fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for the people who showed up Sunday morning when it rains. Oh, that's not what it said. Uh, I will bring you good news of great joy uh, for, for the people who actually do have their lives together. No, no. Good news of great joy that will be for how many of the people? All of them. All of them. He's bringing good news of great joy for all of the people. And in case you needed to hear that today, that includes you. Well, you don't know my background and you don't know the baggage that I have. You're absolutely right. I don't. God does. And he still sent good news of great joy for you. I mean, you need to hear this today, hear it personally today, because it's not as if you get left out because of your brokenness or because of your baggage or because of your background, whatever it may be. There are never just too many pieces. There is never too much darkness. The field that they were in was completely dark, and yet God brought light to that darkness. He did it for them. He'll do it for you with good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The issue, I think, typically is, I mean, certainly there are some who struggle with their brokenness. The issue also is, let me say it also, uh, is this, that there is a sense in which they love their brokenness so much and and they they, um, identify with their brokenness so much that they don't know how to live without it. Like if God did put me back together again, who would I actually be? 
I mean, here's this thing. I've always lived with this thing. I don't know what to do. If it's gone, I don't know how to live with it. If, if I can't uh, you know, kind of live with this identity over my life, this banner flying over my life, I don't know who I am. And here's what I'm here to tell you. God gives you a much better banner to fly over your life. He gives you a much better plan to walk with uh, in your life. He gives you a better name. He gives you a better relationship. He gives you, of all the brokenness that you think, I mean, you just can't imagine your life without it. If you surrender that to him, his peace will bring a wholeness, and that wholeness will be so much better than anything that you could come up with. His peace comes when we focus on him and not on our brokenness. Can we flip one page just real quickly? Look over in Luke chapter 4. Look at verse 31. Luke chapter 4, verse 31. It's one page to the right. Luke 4, 31. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority, and it still does, by the way. Verse 33. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, this demon did, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. That's wholeness. That's shalom right there. Verse 38. And they were all amazed. Excuse me, 36. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? With authority and a power, he commands unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went into every place in the surrounding region. Verse 38, and he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon. This is Peter's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to, her on, appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Folks, that's shalom. That's peace. Verse 40, now when the sun was setting, all those who had uh, any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many crying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. Listen, uh, can you imagine as Jesus is on this healing ministry, somebody rolling up to him and like, eh, I'm not so sure I actually want what you're giving out here. I mean, I know I've been struggling with this for all this time, but no, eh, thanks, no thanks. I mean, I know I got this little demon thing happening, but like, really, I'm, I'm okay. Some people are so um, attached to their brokenness that they're not sure who they would be without it. And I'm telling you, God's kind of peace will be so much better than anything you're trying to hold on to. I am too broken. The second objection is not about you, but about God. Uh, and it's this misconception, mischaracterization of God that he's either too angry or sometimes it comes out too disappointed, either too angry or too disappointed. I just point you to verse 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. What? Peace. Peace. He doesn't love my brokenness, but he loves me in my brokenness. He doesn't love your brokenness, but he loves you in your brokenness. How many of you have had kids, uh, you have had kids who, who make choices that you're not in love with? You're like, eh, that's not a good play, kiddo. I mean, like really, like you could do 10 other things, so it would be so much better. That's not a good play. Do you quit loving them in that moment? No, you don't love them in their choice, but here's what you do. Excuse me, you don't love their choice, but you love them in their choice. You don't love them in their broke. You don't love their brokenness. You love them in their brokenness. That's what God does for you and for me. And if God is, is too angry or too distant, here's my question. Anger, it, it takes one of two approaches. Either they come after you to bring harm or they withdraw to bring harm. It's either attack or withdrawal. But does either of those sound like peace? 
Either of those sound like wholeness or rightness or shalom. No, it, anger does one thing for sure. It puts more distance between you and the person that you're angry at. It always does. So with God, you would expect there to be more distance. If God, if God really is angry, you would expect more distance, not less. You would expect him to have his back turned to you, not his face turned toward you. Well, guys are really angry. He's like kind of disappointed in just tolerating my existence. Oh, you're here again? Okay, just sit right there. I'll be with you in a minute. If God was only tolerating you, why in the world would he send a message like this? Why in the world would he send a, a, a message like this? Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. Why is he bringing peace? If there was only tolerance, there wouldn't be this kind of pursuit. There wouldn't be an angel showing up in the middle of the fields. There wouldn't be this grand announcement for all people. It'd just be like, oh, it's you. Okay, just sit right there. Instead, God pursued us because it says at the end of verse 14, among those with whom he is pleased. He is pleased with us. He loves us. And because that is the case, he's not going to leave us in our brokenness. He refuses to leave us in our brokenness, and he is going to pursue us. And that's what he does. If you have this sense, if either of these ring true for you, either you feel like you're too broken or you feel like God is angry uh, or, or he's disappointed, what you sense is this truth that Christmas it's an accusation first before it's jubilation. An accusation saying, you're not at peace. You're not whole. You're not okay. But I'm pursuing peace. But I'm pursuing wholeness. I'm pursuing you. That's what God's doing. So if you have this sense like, Ugh, you're right about that. That's, a, that's, that's the right sense. That Christmas says something about us apart from God. That's true. But the good news is He came to us. We didn't have to go to Him. The good news is he moved toward us. We didn't have to move towards him. It makes us face that something, Christmas makes us face the fact that something is wrong with us before celebrating the fact that God has moved toward us in order to remedy that. So what did God do? What did God do? Just two things here. Number one, he pursued us. The shepherds didn't have a seance and call an angel out. They were just there doing shepherd things. And then God stepped in. And you and your world, me and my world, we don't try to conjure something. God steps in. He's the one who takes the initiative for us. He is the one who um, moves toward us. He is the one who is in pursuit of us. It, it is frustrating sometimes uh, when people uh, um, struggle with the language to do this. Um, one of the songs that was out, I don't know, a few years ago, uh, was this, the lyric of it, the chorus of it was, I found Jesus. I didn't know he was the one that was lost, right? Like that it seems like that was backwards a little bit. Uh, so, so if you're in here, you're like, well, I'm not sure what's going on. Let me just tell you, God's in pursuit of you. That's the deal. You don't have to go searching for him. He's in pursuit of you. That's, that's good news for you. Some people, though, because they're, uh, the, the struggle that they've been through and that kind of thing, it's one thing to you know, sell songs on that deal. Some people, as they genuinely struggle with it, they express something like this. Uh, you know, somewhere along the way, I, I figured out that I just lost God. Good news. God's not lost. He's, he's right where you left him. <laughs> where, you, where you moved away, like he's still there. He, he's, he's exactly where he's always been. And so, 
He pursued us. That's what you need to hear today. He's coming after you even today. The reason you're here in the room, whether you got drugged here by somebody, you said yes to somebody, uh, you just showed up because you weren't sure what to do. Oh, it's raining. I guess I'll go to church. Whatever it was for you. Listen, this is an indicator of God pursuing you. And then he didn't just stop there. He, he pursued us, but he also saves us. Look back, if you will, in verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. A Savior. He rescues us. He rescues us from our sin by paying the debt for us and purchasing favor for us. You and I, because of our brokenness and because of our sin, we owed God a debt of death. That's what the Bible says, is that you and I, we deserve to die. And we can never right that wrong by, our, uh, by ourselves. We can never right that wrong on our own. We, there's no way we can level the playing field or get the scales back in balance. So what does God do? In steps Jesus for you and for me. And in steps our Savior who, who is going to pay the debt for us. But more than that, he's not just leveling the scales, so to speak. He's not just putting things right in that way. He's also purchasing favor, so he's tipping it in our favor. So Paul, over in the book of Romans, you can look this up later, but listen to this in chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified or made right with God by faith, there's not another way to do it, only by faith. Therefore, since we have been justified with God by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's not another way to have peace with God. Only through Jesus. When we come to celebrate communion here in just a moment, it's a reminder, a physical exercise of the spiritual reality that only through Jesus, dear you and I, made right with God. We have peace with God only one way, and that's through the Savior, through Jesus. He brings peace by dealing with our sin. But he doesn't just stop there. Verse 11, for unto you is born this day a, uh, in the city of David a Savior who is who? Christ, who is Christ. That is um, the Old Testament Messiah. The Old Testament word was Messiah. New Testament word is Christ. Those two things correlate. Um, so he makes good on the promises. In the Old Testament, he says, I'm going to raise up somebody. He's going to accomplish this for me. He's going to bring the kingdom of God. He's going to do these things. He's going to represent me. He's going to show me to the people. And guess what Jesus did? He did all those things that he promised. He is going to keep, he is going to make good on his promises. And through his promises, he de destroys the power of sin in our life. If the death of Jesus, um, excuse me, if the death of Jesus dealt with the penalty of our sin, the life of Jesus and the promises of Jesus and the, 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 the resurrection of Jesus deals with the power of our sin, he delivers us from our enemies. And then lastly, unto you, born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So he not only rescues us from our sin, he not only makes good on the promises, but he, as we say often around here, he reigns over everything. Meaning Jesus is in charge, and if he's beaten sin, then he can deal with our situation. If he's destroyed death, then he can deal with our circumstances. No matter what you're facing, here's what I know. Because he's the Lord, he always works for our good and for the glory of God. Whatever your circumstances may be. Hard as they may be, tough as they may be, uh, uh, disconnected and detached as they may be, he's working those things for our good and for his glory. That's what he does. That's what he does. And folks, if we, if we lock eyes with that, if we see a God who pursues us, who is our Savior, who is Christ the Lord, wholeness, rightness, that sense of ought, that's going to be the byproduct. We're going to come to a time of communion and physically remember. So I'll take, give you a moment here to just get settled in. If you've got to fold stuff up and put it up, please 
uh, do so. I'll pray here in just a moment, but go ahead and get settled. And I'm going to ask our deacons to come forward and we'll get ready to take communion together.